You, you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. Today on the Salt and Dirt Podcast, we have Joe Escalante. Joe's in one of my favorite bands of all time, The Vandals, but he's also a filmmaker. Check out his show, Monsters Across America, now on Fox Nation. Thanks for listening. Yeah, Joe, thanks so much for being with me today. Uh, I have have a few questions for you because it seems like you have so much going on. Uh, first off, the the Sweet and Tender Hooligans has a new EP, um, and I just for folks who don't know about this band, I think they should know about them. So maybe you could just tell us uh, about it, how you became involved, and you know what the what the new EP is uh, consisting of. Okay, um, the Sweet and Tender Hooligans. First of all. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, great to be here. And um, regarding the Sweet and Tender Hooligans, the Sweet and Tender Hooligans is a, it's basically just a Morris C. Smith's tribute band, but it's more than that. One being, it's been going for 20 years, and um, it's a Mexican Morris C. tribute band. So they, when people wonder why do so many Mexicans like, Morrissey, and it's really, I say Mexicans, one reason, because I'm Mexican, half Mexican. Um, it's Mexicans. Uh, when we play in, uh, in New York, it, Puerto Ricans don't show up. <laughs> and there's, you know, uh, it, it's Mexicans. And they are, um, and there's a big mystery of why do so many Mexicans like Morrissey and the Smiths? A lot of things. You know, I could go into them if you want, but um, it was always you know, just kind of a weird scene to me, but a very cool, very like precious little scene with the Mexican Morrissey fans and Smith's fans. And then they, then they had their own tribute band with the Mexican Morrissey, Jose Maldonado, who's just very good. When you see him perform, you go, wow, this guy's doing what he was born to do in life. He's doing it. He's um, impersonating Morrissey and acting with an audience, but he's better than Morrissey in many ways because he is. So he's, He's uh, like Morrissey would like to be Mexican. Um, <laughs> this guy is Mexican. And um, so when and then when you see the Sweet and Tender Hooligans, uh, you know, they're playing usually nothing but hits. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to say, hey, I'm going to play a bunch of new. Although maybe they do. We do play stuff from new records. And um, I don't know if it's a good idea, but we do it. Um, so it's uh, and when I first got in the band, I've only been in the band about 10 years. How, how many years now? Let's see. I got in the band about 2006 or 2000. Yeah, 2006. So that's okay. 15 years. Oh, wow. Um, but they were around like maybe seven when I got in the band. Um, so they uh, and they were well known. Um, I saw I always knew about them, but. It was like a, like a weird trivia thing. Like, do you know who these guys are? Um, and then I was hiring a, a camera person and she brought in a, some t- w- tapes of, of her work and she was sh- shooting the Sweet and Ten Hooligans for some, th- some reason. And I saw them playing at the Knitting Factory in LA and it was about 800 to 1,000 people screaming for the fake Morrissey <laughs> and, you know, trying to claw their way on stage to touch not only the fake Morrissey, they want to touch the fake player for the fake Morrissey and I'm like how, man how do you get in this band um so then I was at a party for a guy named Scott Ackerman mm-hmm. and he uh he's he has a um like a IFC show called Comedy Bang Bang or he did for a while mm-hmm. anyway 
director of uh, Between Two Ferns. Yeah. Um, I went to his I went to his birthday, and this guy shows up uh, about halfway, and says, "I just got out of the Sweet and Tender Hooligan show uh, at the Echo Club." And they kicked their bass player out. They got in a big fight on stage and the bass player just got dragged out by security. <laughs> and so I just followed up on that and uh, I'm in the band. That's incredible. Um, well, yeah, that, I mean, maybe you could talk about, about that a bit. Um, I'm, I'm from, I grew up in Salt Lake city, but in my early twenties, I actually moved to long beach and I lived, uh, I lived on Broadway across the street from the potholder. And uh, <laughs> so I was kind of like, I learned a lot about, you know, you know, LA and Orange County and all that Long Beach and just some of the, the idiosyncrasies that every every city and town has. And that was one thing. Uh, I met a lot of people, a lot of, you know, a lot of Mexican-Americans and they were huge Smiths fans. And it was just, yeah. it was something I just had never really expected. I'd, or at least in here in Salt Lake, we, you know, we got a, a fair, uh, the neighborhood I live in especially has a pretty large Mexican-American, but I don't hear a lot of them talk, like blasting the Smiths uh, in right. My area. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like depending on what kind of Mexican they are. Um, they like, we'll go to, uh, like we're going to Fresno where the population, just the Latino population in general, so much higher, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. um, but the shows are smaller. Um, but we get, you know, but it's all Mexicans mm -hmm. in the audience. It's a hundred percent. We go to New York and it's all white people go to uh texas it's mexicans uh -huh. so this is and it's, it's it's a weird um san francisco it's it's a, it's 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 mixed um and also at, at some point we got an agent that started booking us in bigger like house of blues in orange county in anaheim and that opened it up a little bit but when i first got in the band we were playing you know just hardcore east la mexican scene and um it was 100 percent Mexicans. The only, there was like our guitar players white and I'm half white. And that was the only whites in the whole place. So um, there was, uh, uh, then we did, then we started getting booked by the Vandals agent. And then it started, you know, opening up, but, but it's still probably 75% Latino in the audience. Yeah. That's, that's so fun. I mean, someone needs to make a documentary on this. If, if you guys are up for it, I think it would be I, such I a, I think there's been about seven of them. <laughs> I must have missed those, man. I got it. I got it. Yeah, they're out there. They're out there. The band has been about five or six, seven, eight, maybe. Uh -huh. There's no like definitive high budget great one because you have to use the music of Morrissey and the Smiths. So you can't really make a great one without a giant music budget. Right. To right. explore this phenomenon. Um, but it could be done, but small ones. So interesting. Yeah. So this is like that. That's pretty new to me. Um, the, the band itself. Like I just read probably the last couple of years I've heard about it. Um, I hadn't realized that they'd been a lot around so long, but I was listening to the EP today. Um, I, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> Thanks. The idea behind the EP is um, lesser known Morrissey Smith songs that are still catchy and, uh, uh, you know, really beautiful songs, but are not uh, hits. Um, with the exception of there's Kiss Me A Lot is like kind of a hit off a new record but it's very obscure because in the grand scheme of things very few people have heard it mm -hmm. um so we just try to songs that, that that morrissey probably wouldn't even play live or or that hadn't been a music video for and then we wanted to record those um because we didn't want to you know 
step on Morrissey's toes, just like I'm sure he wants to record his songs in Spanish. So we try to pick up pick songs that he probably wouldn't record in Spanish. Yeah. And um, and and then just to you know, because that it kind of a lot of people that come to our shows would like to have some kind of recording of ours, but if we just record all the hits, what's the purpose? You know, then right. it's trying to get less karaoke and more original. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the idea. I mean, there's a lot of compromises in the band. Like some people didn't want to do that; they just wanted to record all hits. And um, uh, but Cleopatra was on board with the theory of yeah, just kind of a very subtle uh, collection of six uh, virtually unknown songs and, and, um, just to just, you know, music that, that people might enjoy. And if you listen to it, you might say, Hey, this is a good band. I don't know. I didn't know these were Morrissey songs. That's <laughs> it. That's, I, ideally I would like, and they're all in Spanish. So we're hoping that in, in Spanish speaking world, it'll catch on a little bit. Maybe one of these songs will catch on on radio or something because it's a nice, uh, uh, catchy song. And it has a little story behind it with this band that's been together 20 years. Yeah, that's incredible. It makes me think, uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to that new, um, I, well, I guess it's an Elvis Costello record, but uh, it's all in Spanish. And I think it's, I forget what album it is. I think it, it might be his first album, actually. And so um, it's it's outstanding. It just came out a couple weeks ago, I think. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard it. It's great. Yeah, you got to check that out. Very, very, very good stuff. But I think um, some of those songs just work, I think they work better in Spanish, yeah. you know, so that's cool. It's also what we tried to do is just like pick songs that would work. That would be, I mean, one of the theories of why Mexicans like Morrissey is because Mexican ballads are very sappy. Mm. So they're used to these sappy ballads about crying, just crying. You know, you hear the, the, the song Corazon, the word in every song, every, almost every verse of every song is Corazon, my heart and Llorando, I'm crying. Um, these are, you know, the, the nuts and bolts of, of Mexican ballads. So people are, are uh, from Mexican families are, are kind of attuned to this kind of emotion in music. And so they seem to respond. That's one of the reasons that people might think why, why it's so popular with the Mexicans. But in LA, there was a long period in the eighties where the Mexican American population in, in, in Los Angeles was listening to K-Rock, the, the radio station. And that was a very popular station with them and their older brothers, uh, older sister, too. Um, it was before uh, rock and espanol became a big thing. Right now we have or reggaeton or, you know, like these bands like J Balvin or Bad Bunny. That's, there was nothing like that around. You had Mana, which is a, a Spanish speaking uh, rock band. Rock and espanol, that was, that was, um, that's a music that doesn't really fit in Spanish. Some people make it work. Rock and roll is an English language music. You try to sing it in another language. There's something off. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it, it never really got that big around here. Now you have uh, reggaeton and 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 a lot of you know salsa songs that are natural for Spanish, and they and and I, I think there's something for young Mexican Americans to to latch onto. But back then there wasn't much. They listened to K Rock. That means they were listening to The Cure, and they were listening to New Order, Depeche Mode, and The Smiths. Um, so they, that was another thing. And then, so what they gravitate to the Smiths, you know, it, it just it had everything for them. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know why, why, why this is a phenomenon. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, just theory, it's, it's just theory. So I don't know. There's no one, there's, there's no one reason. There's no one answer. Right. Uh, yeah. very cool. Well, kind of switching gears. I'd love to hear, I know it sounds like you've been very busy with your, um, with your television work, uh, kind of tra- traveling a lot. 
Um, so Monsters Across America, is that what you've been working on lately? Yeah, it's a, um, it's a definitely a full-time job when you're in production. It's on the showrunner of a TV series and every frame that ends up on the screen is my on the screen is my responsibility every every sound you hear everything you see every legal thing behind it every business thing behind it every payment uh it all comes and that's how tv is the the writer um or the person who created the show is the the showrunner and that showrunner has to be all of a sudden they have writers will be running a business and it and it's not a great idea but that's how it works in tv <laughs> In, in not in film, it doesn't work that way. The writer hands in a script and he's lucky if he's allowed on the set. Yeah. But uh, with with TV, it's if you write the show, you're in charge of the show and you're in charge of hiring and uh, firing and finances. Uh, it's so it's coming at me from all different directions. Um, and then when it's done, it's done. You can relax. But uh then, then it starts up again. So with a successful show, you just keep going. So that's what I've been doing in the last, since right around when the pandemic started. It just started, um, uh, that's, you know, allowed me to, to sit home and write all the episodes. Normally we would have a writing team, but I was sitting there with nothing to do. Right. So I wrote all the episodes of the first season. And then the second season, um, yeah, I kind of got the hang of it. So I just wrote them all again. And that's, uh, and then I got to go out and shoot them. And I direct the episodes. Then I got to supervise the post-production, work with the editors. And right now we're, we're, you know, we're just about to deliver the last three of this season. Mm -hmm. And then I went out to New York to meet with the network to see about, you know, when we do the next season or so, so far so good. That's great. Yeah. And you, so you came to, um, you mentioned you came to Utah for, uh, was it a, a Sasquatch sighting? Yeah. The Provo, the Provo Bigfoot. I so was not I was not aware, Bigfoot. so I need I need I can't wait to see that. I need to see that one. Yeah, the the Provo Bigfoot is um he's he's uh connected to Mormon um folklore. It's not it's not doctrine, uh -huh. but it's very close because there's this old prophet and this old prophet's you know wrote down in his writings. I I was in he was actually in Tennessee when he saw it. Um this and what he described sounds like a Bigfoot. And but the Bigfoot declines came from the Bible. Hmm. And he says he's doomed to doomed to wander the wilderness forever uh, for his sins. Now, uh, um, that kind of explains Bigfoot. And, and, and so in the, somewhere around the 1980s, <laughs> he, he, uh, the Mormon uh, story just kind of it was very obvious. This is a Bigfoot. I mean, it's it's everybody as real as any Bigfoot you've ever seen, you know, <laughs> Because um, if we have a, 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 a Mormon prophet who may have had some mystical abilities and saw something like that, um, uh, it's it, you know what to me it didn't it made, it made it was every bit as valid as some guy, you know, going out and seeing Bigfoot. Yeah. So I thought that Provo Bigfoot was the most interesting of all the Bigfoots. So and there's video, there's really good video of this. Um, oh wow! Uh, this Provo Bigfoot. And I found out how good it was. What you know, as that was season one. Mm -hmm. We're on see we're on episode one. I'm on episode twelve now. It is, it's hard to get that kind of video. I wish I had everybody. You know, all these monsters had is the footage that they have of the Provo Bigfoot. Man, yeah, that's 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 incredible. I mean, I know you got. I mean, you've traveled the world. You've seen like every. I'm sure, like a lot of you've you've been to Salt Lake a, a ton of times. I grew up going yeah. to see the Vandals. Um, you know, 
from the I would say the mid '90s on um, here in Salt Lake. So you kind of you, you have a I would imagine a pretty good understanding of Utah culture and Salt Lake culture. Oh yeah. Um, do you do you and the, I, I, the, the difference between Provo <laughs> and and Salt Lake yeah. and St. George? I, I've come to um, get, have a good uh, appreciation for the whole state. There's yeah. a whole there's a after me there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, um, I'm always curious. I mean, cause I, I know when, when I see you guys play here, I like, uh, Dave Quackenbush who, you know, talks mostly to the audience. He like, he always has a good Utah joke, you know? Yeah. So I can tell you guys, you guys get it. You get that you get, <laughs> you get Utah, you know, how weird it is and how interesting yeah. it is. And I'd like to think our Utah jokes are better than others. We don't resort to polygamous jokes. Um, there, uh, in fact, in, in my episode, a docu-series episode, I think it's the only probably documentary type ep- half hour of television you will ever see that, that, that is about uh, Utah and Mormons that doesn't mention polygamy. It's just, you know, uh, it mentions the religion. It talks to, um, we talk to Mormons, Mormon experts, uh, but, we, and, but we're focusing on the folklore, uh, uh, which is very interesting. And people uh, have no idea that folklore, if you think, doctrine is is uh interesting that you've heard uh about mormonism wait till you hear the folklore you know yeah. the stuff where they say whoa that's a little too out there to make doctrine <laughs> that's if, good stuff, well, good stuff out there. yeah no for sure i mean like i said i grew, I grew up here uh not a mormon but it's like it is interesting like just the like for example i went to mark Marin um came to the our stand-up club uh, mm-hmm. a little less than a month ago and he it's it's always interesting hearing uh people come in who maybe don't like, he's been here several times so i think now he's kind of getting it um and, he, and he's walking around he goes to the temple every time he's here and just kind of you know checks it out so it is like a there's no there's no other place like it you know and i think growing oh, yeah. up growing up here i hated it i was like you know but i think a lot of that was teen angst um and then i've gotten older i you know i moved to both coasts and came back here and have like a new appreciation for uh, just how it's beautiful and it's weird and it's, it's, uh, it's all kinds of things. So I'm, I'm so happy when like bands like you show up and you can tell like, you know, yeah, you're not, you're making fun, but you're not making fun of it in a, in a, like the polygamy jokes, like that's so old, you know, Uh, it's not low hanging fruit. I think, I think a talking lizard, talking lizard joke now and then is okay. Yeah. Um, And maybe, maybe 10 years ago, yeah, but never uh, 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 to me the polygamous jokes were always just stupid, um, <laughs> and so you know it's low hanging fruit. But you know, talking lizard or uh, Howard Hughes, um, yeah, uh, a joke or um, uh, you know maybe a big love reference or something like that. But but not you know you got to be a little uh, uh, you got to work a little bit harder than than um, than just the, the low hanging fruit. So and plus it's to me it's just like. I think America is so much better off for having the, the a state like Mor- the, Mor- the Utah run by the Mormons. Yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, because it shows you what federalism is supposed to be all about. We have some states uh, where, um, you know, like like Louisiana is, is like if you want to live like Tijuana, like you're in Tijuana, go to Louisiana and live in uh, New Orleans and have debauchery. Um, and have a different set of laws and Napoleonic code, even they, 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 they're really weird. Um, and then if you don't want that, 
move to Utah, where you're going to have, um, you know, all these Mormon elders are going to be in charge of everything, and they're going to keep things running and clean and efficient, and um, and just a different way to go. But if you if you get rid of that, I think America uh, suffers. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I mean, like it's like, and um, I think vote with your feet. <laughs> exactly. I think I think Salt Lake has gotten um, like a lot. There's a bit an influx, like massive, in the last five years, uh, people moving in, and um, it really has been interesting to see like the you know the areas changing. I know the the venue I saw uh, the vandals at quite a bit was uh, bricks or in the venue, and uh-huh. that I drove by there the other day. It's gone. Um, oh wow! Yeah, it's 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 not there. There's a there's a high ri- or a you know condominiums popping up there so a lot of the landscape that i was always familiar with growing up um is just kind of disappeared uh for better or for worse but yeah um okay moving on from salt lake i I just yeah i loved hearing other people's perspective on it um i would i did want to so you're a big reader uh when i interviewed a while back on this you you gave me some great recommendations and uh you actually turned me on to the brett easton ellis podcast which i hadn't you know i've I've read i think i've read all of his books but i and i knew he had a podcast but i hadn't um i hadn't paid on the patreon so i got it pretty quick pretty soon after i talked to you um and it's like it's become like you know one of my favorites for sure and i yeah. I, lo- I love what he's doing with um I, I'm, I'm a bit behind on the shards but i love uh kind of the serial episodic yeah. um you know of his novel his new novel which it seems like that's what it's going to be um and i'm just kind of sounds like you probably have you so have you been keeping up with the show oh yeah okay no i I look forward to the brett easton ellis podcast like it's an episode like a new episode of the sopranos i mean i just (laughs) i cannot wait for it to come it's like two and a half hours long or longer and then um even when it was just an interview and his monologue and an interview uh, I just loved it. A lot of it is because he's almost the same age as me and he grew up with the same, almost the same life, like um, around rich people, not that rich. Um, like my dad was rich. My mom was bowling alley clerk. So I was living in both worlds, going to the movies all the time by myself, R rated movies by myself and the same, all these seventies movies that if you listen to his podcast, he's really celebrating um, movie culture and movie history and a big part of it is the 70s movies the golden age what do you would call it um the the 70s uh um new Hollywood. um and it's just it's a great job and then now then he then he added onto it a, a, a novel that he's writing um which is a, a novel about his own experience in high school mm-hmm. and it's a high school where i knew people that went there longtime girlfriend that went there tons of friends um so I always wanted to go there. I go, wow, those guys are, you know, they get to wear these cool uniforms. Um, uh, so I'm a little envious of that world. So I'm getting to listen to the, 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 the all the ins and outs of Buckley um, High School or Buckley School. So it goes, you know, it it's, uh, goes from first grade. And, but um, all of it's fascinating to me and it just gets so crazy. I mean, I'm not going to give it away, but I'm, sure. I'm like, what's this guy? Hell, <laughs> I'm surprised he's holding it together, you know, as much when they went through all this stuff. <laughs> and then along the way, he, he's like breaks up with his boyfriend. I get, that's like all of the boyfriend's gone. I mean, yeah. in real life, uh-huh. he's like and he took over his Twitter account. I think at one point it was start was starting to to like yell and uh, or, or yeah, I, I, I heard that from somebody. But because I'm not that active 
online to follow it. Mm-hmm. But I heard his, his yeah, boyfriend had a meltdown and then, you know, and he's just very casual about it. Oh, that's over. Yeah. No, I was kind of like, I was following for that. And I just, I, I was like, something is, something is happening and I, yeah. I don't know <laughs> what's going on, but I'm going to, I'm going to mute this for a while and return later. No. Um, and so, I, yeah. I don't, I didn't major in English literature. Um, you know, like important authors would do. Um, and so I'm way of all these gaps in the, in the, in the stuff I've read. Um, so, you know, I pick up stuff from, from him. Um, and then a lot of movies. Cause I was super into movies when I was really, really young. And then I got, I think when I got into punk rock, it just kind of like, it did a lot of damage to my, uh, you know, development. It was like, I was movie, movie, movie. And all of a sudden I was like, well, uh, I'm not going to do whatever I do this weekend. I'm going to do it. If the guys in TSOL are doing it, then I'll do it. And then, you know, I'm hanging around with these, with the drummer of TSOL waiting for him to tell me what to do. Um, and I would go to college, UCLA drive there and then drive right back to the drummer from TSOL's house and say, all right, what are we doing? Pat Brown. Well, Pat Brown, why don't you move in with me? And you're my friend. I mean, these are, these are not, you know, this is, so I, I, I have these tremendous gaps in my movies um, from that, and that was just a lot of wasted time. It was almost like being in a prison. Just, just I, I just didn't, you know, I didn't. I, I, I was away from, you know, my family a lot, and and then I finally got away from those um, people, and, um, and then I, I still see them. You know, they're still they're still good people. It's not their fault that 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 they were distracting me, but um, uh, yeah. So I, that's another reason why I like that podcast because I'm picking up these movie mm-hmm. recommendations and book recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. I mean, like I, I'm, a, um, I'm, I just turned forty, so I kind of, you know, I wasn't. I have to do the research to find the movies from the '70s, um, and I've gotten so many great ones. And I, you know, I got the Criterion Channel after I started listening to him. Yeah, yeah, um, I have that too. I got that from. Uh, there's another podcast called Ricochet Podcast called Glop Culture. G L O P. Okay. Uh, Glop Culture on the Ricochet Network, which is another good one. I think it's free. I know that you have to pay to 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 comment on ricochet but i think you can listen to the podcast but um same thing three guys um that are talking about pop culture and i get the best recommendations from things mm. from those guys too um for books and and movies um but yeah the 70s that was a uh, and the criterion channel that's what we're talking about yeah so the criterion channel um a lot of good stuff a lot of bad stuff on there it's surprisingly, and yeah. you'll hear Brett talk about it. It's like some of it, it the, like the suburbia, the movie I was in, mm-hmm. this Roger Corman, uh, yeah. Penelope Spheris film. That's on there. Like, oh, this is important. Really? Is it? <laughs> you know, I, um, yeah, I remember that movie. Yeah. So that was on there for a while. But yeah, so that's really good to get. And then uh, the, here we have something called Canopy with a K. Do you have that out there? I don't think so. Don't you think might. So. It's, it's attached Maybe. to the public library system. Oh, Okay. So it's a it's a criterion, it's a free version of the Criterion Channel essentially. Oh wow! Um, and and the Criterion gives a bunch of their movies to it because it's a library, so they're trying to do their their bit. And um, and you just have to have a library card, and then you go into it. And sometimes the movies are better selection, like hmm. sometimes a very deep catalog of uh, of things, um, like those Seven Up movies, Seven Up, Twenty One Up, Twenty Eight uh-huh. Up. 
I couldn't find a lot of those, in, but I could only find them on Canopy. I gotta check that out. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah, I bet we. I bet we have. That. Try look. Look it up. Canopy with Canopy. They'll tell you how how you get in. Okay, great. And then you. So you probably had what? What's that channel that everyone talks about? Um, that was on during like in the seventies and eighties, or was it on the? In the oh, the 80s? Z channel. The Z channel. Yeah. Okay, so, that that's interesting because he talks about the Z channel. Mm -hmm. Another thing of just a severe source of envy for me is I'm going to summer camp. I went to summer camp with all these kids that went to Buckley school and they lived in Beverly Hills, but I lived in Orange County in a normal neighborhood and a long story how I ended up at that camp, but I'm there. And that's why I know one of the first reasons why I know so much about Buckley because mm -hmm. all the kids went to my camp who, who, who would go to Buckley. Um, they all had the Z channel mm -hmm. and um, my sister was dating. Well, I, I, I ended up at this camp because my sister was dating the son of a famous movie producer. And so I end up there. And they, I already know this family has the Z channel and I can't believe it there. It shows a movie from the movies, from the theater every night. And they show the same one, maybe three times in a row, Monday through Friday. And they'll say, all right, we're going to show uh, Westworld. And I go, Westworld, you can only see that in the theaters. I couldn't imagine being able to see it in home with no commercials. Yeah. So, but it was just one movie and it was thrilling. <laughs> and so they were always talking about what they'd see on the Z channel, raw rated movies. And um, I didn't have the Z channel, but um, then finally we got something called on TV, but it was, you know, it was a little late and finally they got it where we had it and it's a box, a, you know, pretty big box and it's on, uh -huh. you know, on or off, hooked up to your <laughs> channel three on, you get the same movie every night for a week or a Laker game, huh. a home game, a home Laker game, which was a big deal too. But that Z channel that he talks about. Yeah. I was jealous. Yeah. I, just, I talked to a guy the other day um, who grew up. Um, out there and he was like the z channel that was you know there's a documentary about the z channel that's what he was telling me i, I yeah. wasn't aware of that so yeah I, I i have to check that out so um yeah very very cool uh but yeah canopy i'm gonna definitely look into that and put okay. a link there for our for our local yeah. people put it in the show notes yeah definitely um let's see i wanted to ask you about uh so you i mean you i guess i want to ask you because you have so many things going and it seems like as long as I've been aware of you, you always have like, like you're, you're fighting bulls, you're a lawyer, uh, you have your radio show. So you, you have so many things going on at once. Um, you obviously got to be a very organized person. I'm, I'm just curious how you uh, maintain like the, the energy and the drive and the organization to be like successful at all these things. Well, um, not very successful at them. Uh, <laughs> so then you have to kind of like, sometimes you got to shift gears. You're like, hey, this isn't working. So if I'm normal in a normal state, I'm not really doing that many things. Um, I went to law school and then I worked in the network television, you know, so for like, you know, five years, I'm just working at a network and band is a hobby. That's all I do. And then I started, I left there and started the record label. Then it was just, I'm in a punk band and I have a record label. And that's all I did. Now, hobbies, yeah, I did. I went, when I was, I was a younger man, I was in, involved in the um, Mexican uh, bullfighting uh, amateur world. Um, you know, but that's just like somebody playing golf, you know, and, <laughs> or, or mountain climbing or mountain biking, which things that I didn't do. So, um, but it seems weird. So, you know, it sounds like I'm doing a lot of things, but not really doing a lot. And then I'm never practicing law. Like every once in a while, somebody would, I'd do a favor for somebody since I had this law degree. Um, 
uh, and then I, but then I got this weird uh, radio job of giving legal advice to entertainers. So that, and when I did that, I had to learn the law because I didn't really know it because huh. I hadn't been, you know, when I was at the CBS television, I was not in the law department. I was in business affairs, making deals, make a deal, send the memo off to the law department, which I'm not in. And they would draw it up a contract. Then I would send it out to the agent. Hmm. So when I did started my radio show, I didn't really know, but I just thought it was a good idea because we're in Hollywood and I, I was like love line, like, well, yeah. well, you know, people calling in for love advice, they should be calling in for how to break into show business <laughs> and also be, and be ridiculed. No. <laughs> so uh, the, the, it was just very, very weird that the radio station I pitched it to, it, it said, yeah, that's a great idea. Come in and do it. Hmm. And then I ended up in the radio for a while. Um, and then, um, and then as soon as I, the radio, uh, gig ended, um, station got sold, um, or did it just change formats to Spanish, but they, 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 they had already fired me in the morning and then they, they went to, um, Spanish about three months after firing me, it all fell apart cause they shouldn't have fired me. Um, cause they could have lasted another six months, I think in my, in my, <laughs> my estimation. And then, uh, just try to get back into TV because, um, I didn't really enjoy, uh, owning a record label. Um, so I, but it, TV is a hard business. So it took me a long time and I didn't want to go back to my old job. Um, and I could have, perhaps I should have, but I wanted to, I wanted to get into a creative position super hard. And then the older you get, the harder it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a creative position. I'm showrunner on shows, I'm very grateful, but that now that's all I do. Yeah. If someone calls me and says they want to need legal advice, I say, I, I refer them to my lawyer you call this lady. Yeah. If somebody, um, uh, as far as music, if they call, Hey, well, I want the Vandals to record or do this or do that. I say, don't talk to me. Talk to Josh freeze. Yeah. He's in charge of recording. I'm not in charge of it. I'm not in, I'm not interested in it. Oh, yeah. we, we want to give you money to make a new album. Talk to Josh freeze. <laughs> yeah, and then, uh, you know, if he says, um, if he needs me to show up for an album, I'll show up, uh, or, you know, or talk to our agent. Um, but I don't, I don't get involved in that. And it's just, our singer used to cancel a lot of shows just for, yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, and then now it's just like, as far as shows, I go, you know, you, you don't talk to me. I even told our tour manager, don't ask me about a show. Ask Dave Quackenbush. <laughs> Start with him. Yep. If it gets past him, <laughs> then, then come to me. Don't come to me first. Yeah. Um, so I just, I just kind of leave that. That is out there being and the recording is being run by Josh. And we do some recording. We're doing mm -hmm. like compilations and we're doing some, some stuff but not really like not making a new album um but josh josh is, handles it all he deals with cleopatra that now owns kung fu records um and so i don't do any of that so i'm just i wake up in the morning and, and work on my shows and um i do a sunday night radio show which i do mostly from home sometimes i'll drive in yeah um that's the life from Hollywood, right? Is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it, you know, it, it, it pays. It makes some money. I do it. Um, it's on the, it's on thin ice. It's like, man, why am I another week? Okay. I'll do this another week. And then someone, then someone will tell me they were listening and they like this or like that. And I go, oh, I, I should pay more attention to this. And, but I'm telling you, being a showrunner, you, you can't really do anything. It's like all, cons yeah. All consuming. That's what all consuming. Yeah. It's hundred percent consuming. Um, I don't know how these, some people have like, there's like Ryan Murphy has like 12, 20 shows in the air. You He's know. got to delegate. He, maybe he clones yeah. himself. I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah I and then, I mean, like, and my shows are low budget, so I don't have a full-time assistant. Um, uh, 
so that would be helpful too. But uh, pretty close, pretty close. <laughs> that's great, and yeah, I, that's kind. Of, that kind of brings me back to Kung, Kung Fu Records. I remember um, when that when that was a thing, and I was always like looking what band, like what bands you would sign, and so I, you know, I found a lot of, you know, when I was younger, a lot of bands that I, you know, kind of fell in love with, like Ozma was on Kung Fu Records, right? So, yeah. I think that's one of our best our best um, discoveries, and one of the things I'm most proud of is Ozma. Yeah, Ozma is an incredible band, and I always I always kind of like occasionally I'll look them up just to see what's going on with Ozma. I don't really know what's going on, but it it seems like they're still kind of there, but not there. Yeah, yeah um, they they still play shows, but like you know they they all they got jobs and and they're um, and one of them is like a like a professor of music, uh, the bass player singer guy. He's like a professor of music somewhere. Oh wow! But um, yeah, they're all uh, very talented. And they do play shows, and uh, uh, but uh, a lot of the thing with the kung fu. One of the problems is I was getting more interested in production. I stayed interested in production the whole time, with all the DVDs and the movies and stuff. And I didn't have a staff that was out there running around um, doing A and R and 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 finding bands. Like it was all like it seemed like I had to find them all. And I, the older I got, the less in touch I got. And I didn't want to be out. Mm-hmm finding bands where are these where are my employees that run out and find the next big thing all they did is run out and miss the next big thing um so i just like this is not for me i gotta get out of here and uh i finally got out well had a good run it had a good run at um yeah i think it had a good run like 96 to 2006 is a period of you know pop punk warp tour yeah. uh you know blink 182 ataris and ozma and um tsunami bomb all that stuff i think it's all um i think the most underrated band on the label is is mi6 mi6 put out two great records of just really good pop punk Uh they didn't tour enough they were they were like this is a hobby it came way too easy to the guy writing the songs Mm. and then i I remember once i got him on a uh i got him a job as the barbecue band on the uh warp tour and that was a lot of lobbying and then i talked to him they go ah we can't do that yeah (laughs) <laughs> right forget it <laughs> um well that i mean i i'm just so happy that the vandals like are still a thing you know because that was i i, I have to say I, the vandals are probably the only band that i listened to growing up that i still listen to on, on a fairly regular basis that i'll, I'll put them on oh, thank um, you. and i have you know i have you know I've, i have all the cds i have some of the vinyl and um that was just always one of my favorite bands to see at Warp Tour and, and whenever you whenever you came through and so that was, I hadn't seen you in years so it was so great to see you a couple of years ago at that taco, that taco fest, um, oh, yeah. which you're playing when you when you do uh, when you guys do play it's these big festivals that are really, um, you know th- yeah pretty big and that's got to be that's got to be like exciting that you can just you know probably hopefully a good paycheck on these big festivals like that and. You know, you yeah. have people that grew up with you, like loving it, coming, coming back to see. So that's cool. It's a very weird scene because very, um, I, I don't know if too many other music scenes, like hardly any music scenes have this longevity where this, you know, skate punk, we could call it, where you can just throw up a festival in, you know, 2021. Mm-hmm. And if you've got Pennywise and No Effects or some combination of Bad Religion and Rancid and Dropkick Murphys, um, you're gonna have a big giant festival, yeah, and yeah. um, and all the people that love that music are gonna come, and the vandals are gonna be like you know somewhere on that on that bill, and the, we're gonna get a big payday, and we're gonna have see our friends, and the scene it's like the scene refuses to die. Mm-hmm. Now 
there's no festivals like that for like, you know, um, like, like EMF or like some bands from the nineties, you know, <laughs> there's no, EMF. <laughs> it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. If you're an EMF, I mean, you're, you're going to play some, you know, some bar in your neighborhood. Um, but there's no like big uh, tour of the EMF bands um, that, 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 that are uh, going to come, come through. Uh, I would go to that show. <laughs> I know they, they should. They, they, you know, it might happen once, but this is happening every year. Several. We have to turn them down. Yeah. Well, there was one in San Pedro last week. We turned it down. We go. There's too many of these. Yeah. We already played. Uh, uh, we're playing in November at this punk in the park thing. We got to do our Christmas show. We can't play your your San Pedro festival. Um, we just did a Denver one, and, and I mean, there's just so many. We have to turn them down. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think we're so. I'm so grateful. And Fletcher always says. Uh, from Pennywise always says, you know, you guys are just grandfathered in. Um, so you're always going to play these things. And then they're in Europe too. We turned down three in Europe. We have, we were going to, there was four of them we were going to play before the pandemic. And then they got canceled and then they just kept moving them around. And then we're like, we're not, um, I, I didn't believe it would, it would actually happen. So, and the plane tickets started going up through the roof. Yeah. But we turned down a, a bunch of them just a couple of weeks ago. A, a group of like two or three and then um uh uh but we'll be back there but, but yeah fletcher said you're you're grandfathered in but you got to play urban struggle mm, yeah and that was his thing <laughs> and there's many 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 shows where we have not played that but yeah. i try to tell that to dave quackenbush say this is the words of fletcher and 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 Fletcher is one of the only people that Dave Quackenbush will listen to. <laughs> I go, Here's what he says. I got the idea behind it is like promoters talk to each other and they go, so you had the vandals. Like if you're the riot fest guy and you talk to the guy at that taco festival. So how are the vandals? I mean, cause vandals are confusing. They've been around 1981. They're still around to 2021. Like, so what version of the vandals do you get when you, if you pay the vandals $20,000, what do you get for that? Do they play urban struggle? If the guy says no. The next promoter is going to go, all right, screw that. Um, <laughs> even though the people in the audience don't really care, it's like just another song to them. Yeah. Um, but the promoters are of the age and stuff. They, they don't play that. I'm not giving them any money. So, um, <laughs> so I think I think it's basically been burned into our heads now. Just play, make sure you play that song for the promoter, <laughs> not even for the audience. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, I, I have so many like other songs that i mean your later stuff is what i like i came on right. like uh during right. the live fast diarrhea that's when i first, yeah. first found you're you the guy songs. you're you're in the in the world that where we think our you know allegiances are and that's mm-hmm. where the energy is and that's where we're grateful to have that to we to, to us we're like we're successful because we attracted people like you mm-hmm. in that era and yeah. we were on the main stage at the warp tour with mm-hmm. bad religion and, and pennywise and alkaline trio yeah. so we're we're proud to be there we are not proud to be some, you know, band from 1981 playing with the uh, God bless them. But that's, um, you know, at, at, at a bar in Costa Mesa. Yeah. Um, we're not, that's not what we we're proud of. Um, we're proud of the business we created in yeah. about from 1996 to 2006. So, yeah. And those were the, every album that you put out, you know, and they were pretty like, Pretty solid, pretty consistent. Like I was, I was just so excited to get that that new Vandals album. I remember even like the, I think the last one is uh, Hollywood Potato Chip, right? Is that yeah. the last one? Okay, the last yeah. studio. Um, and I, I was living in, in in Long Beach at the time, so that was like a nice, um, 
you know that was exciting to get an album down at a fingerprints i think i picked it up when it first came out so that was that was cool and that one was um reason why that's the last one i think is because when we put it out uh there two things happened we got sued by the variety magazine for the font and that kind of uh wiped us out and then for many years and then because then they sued us twice for it and then why did they uh, sue you twice i didn't i didn't I don't think I knew because um, two years later, they re- they they saw they thought they were just a kind of money grab. Their law firm said, hey, um, you're using that logo again. And we're going, no, we're not. Where? And they go, look right here on YouTube. Oh, like uh, someone would upload a song and, and put that old cover on it that we agreed not to use anymore mm-hmm. because it was too similar to their font for their magazine. So they so there what people are i mean that was in those days especially that was a copyright violation there was no way to pay us for that mm-hmm. you know we're looking at people just uploading our albums and so people can get them for free yeah and they would put the cover on it so they sued us because people were in infri- were, were, were committing <laughs> those kinds of uh, infringements against us uh, and that way and they said it says in your contract if you ever break this contract you owe us one hundred fifty thousand dollars. they're chasing us down for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and and trying to run a scam where they can just do it you know every month and so we um that I had to take a year off of everything and just fight them. Oh and uh, I fought them and we won. Um, and we were going to trial. We were on the eve of a federal trial. They finally gave up. Mm. They pushed us all the way to the end. They said, okay, we're dropping, which is the same as winning a whole trial. Cause if we went through the trial and they said it would be like a not guilty, it'd be the same thing. We walk out the door and go, okay, whatever. Um, so they just, they gave up the night before the trial instead of going through the trial because they could see yeah. they weren't going to win, but they were trying to squeeze us to the very last minute. And so that, that put a, a strain on the band because you're getting these threatening letters like you're going to lose your home. Yeah. And then everyone's, well, why don't, we, why don't we do this so I don't lose my home? Why don't we? I go, you know, and then we're all like, well, if you do that, you're going to lose 10 homes. Mm-hmm. We got to fight them. No, no, I'm scared. You know, all this stuff was going on. So God. that was hard to get through. And then... uh then we played for the troops in um, Iraq, yeah, and then that. we got uh, destroyed in Europe for that. They they thought that was um, unforgivable. <laughs> I had to bankrupt the Kung Fu Records in Europe because no one would distribute it anymore. Really? Yeah, you wow. couldn't sell our, you couldn't you couldn't sell Vandal's merchandise over there. It would be like it would be like wearing something with swastika on it <laughs> um, because they go oh, those guys play for the troops, and and we went to play for the troops to to you know as an American you support the troops. Sure. You, you, you don't have to take a position on the war, yeah. especially if you're a band that sings about diarrhea. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you, you just go there and you entertain them. That's what we were doing. We're, we were, um, you know, there during the holidays on Christmas and New Year's to prevent suicides, basically what you're, what you're doing. And then those people in Europe just, uh, they went apoplectic. So, so all that put together is just like, uh, no one had, uh, no one felt like making a record. Yeah. Um, but we still, we did enough. You know, and now we just play and, and, and play and, and, and we've got plenty of material to fill, fill up an hour set um, and, and without having to say, OK, here's some new material for you guys, which yeah. nobody wants to hear. <laughs> Especially you guys in their 50s. Nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. So people will tell us, hey, make a new record. And we're just like, um, no, you know, <laughs> which song, which song in our set list would you like to take out so you could hear something new written by a guy in his 50s? Right. Which one? Pick pick one of these songs. <laughs> right. You're not picking any of them. So why am I making a new record? You know? Well, yeah, just tell them Josh Freese is making solo stuff. I think he makes plenty of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Um, 
Joe, I, thank you so much for your time. I, I'm not going to, I don't want to take any more of your time. This was, I think we hit about an hour here. So Great. Um, this has been like such a treat talking to you, you know? Um, and yeah, I wish you the best. I'm looking forward to seeing more episodes of uh, Monsters Across America. And um, you got the Christmas show coming up, um, you know, sooner than later. So that'll be, yeah. that, and that's been going on a long time now, right? 20, 25 years. This will be the 26th year. And um, yeah, and then the monsters across the America. I'll send you some links. Um, oh, cool! Uh, to uh, some stuff I can show you. Okay. Um, but for people that I don't, the, the the for people if you want, anyone wants to see it, you got to get Fox Nation. Mm-hmm. If you're in the military or a first responder, you get Fox Nation for a year for free. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, or if you're a veteran. Yeah. So um, there's a couple ways to see the show, and then sooner or later, I think there'll be other ways to see it. You know, they they, they have other outlets but they haven't um gone there yet and i'm not supposed to talk about any of it anyway yeah so not gonna. well um yeah anything else so you have that and you have the the ep from the sweet and tender hooligans and then like huge vandals catalog back catalog that um you know people can can find anywhere yeah. le- legally uh so i encourage people to do that if they you know if it's been a while or they're new to the vandals or whatever and if you go on iHeartMedia or iHeartRadio, you can still hear my um, Sunday night thing. Your Sunday, yeah. Um, or uh, iTunes, whatever. You just look up Escalante. Joseph. Yeah, I have it on Google Podcasts, so um, yeah, it's all over it. the place. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I know. Or if you're driving around in Los Angeles, it's on AM radio from 5 to That's 7. The best. That's the best. Yeah, I love <laughs> AM. I'm so happy AM's still around. <laughs> still there, still hanging on. Great. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Joe. This was like a real, okay. like I said, Thanks, real treat. I um was love i was really wanting to have you on so uh thank you so much all right thank you okay take care okay bye, bye.